been talking all month long on such a wonderful sermon series. We've been talking about identity. And Pastor Anthony began our series really talking about identity, identity in the context of kingdom authority. And then he talked about Jesus being the light of the world. And Pastor Chandler preached an, an awesome word, a challenging word last week, and he asked us the question. He said, who am I? And today I want to go further in that sermon series, and I want to talk from this familiar passage of Scripture. And I want to help us, and what I want to help us get through what I believe to be one of the greatest crises that we are facing in our world today, particularly in the church. Now, we know what a crisis is. A crisis is a dangerous or challenging situation or predicament. And I believe that we as a church, we as a people of believers, are in a very dangerous predicament right now. I believe that we are in great danger because we have lost our understanding of identity. So we're going to take our text and we're going to read it as follows. Matthew 21, 1 through 11, it says, as Jesus, and I'm reading in the New Living Translation, as Jesus and the disciples approach Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethage. On the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of them on ahead. He said, go into the village over there. He said, as soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with his coat beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks you what you are doing, just say the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. Verse 4, this took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, Tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's coat. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the coat to him, and they threw their garments over the coat, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this, they asked. And the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. The Lord blessed the reading, hearing, and certainly the doing of his word. I'm going to focus today on verses 10 and 11. Verse 10 said the entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this, they asked. And the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, I um, began preaching, teaching the way they used to tell us we had to say it in the church I grew up in about 
20 plus years ago. I was about 16 years old when I began preaching and when I would be allowed to preach, I would go to youth services and some of the first messages that I spoke on were entitled Identity Crisis. I would teach on the changing of Jacob's identity from a supplanter, a con man, um, into the name Israel after he wrestled with the angel of God. Now, it's been a long time since I've preached that message, but the implications of that message that I preached so long ago are still very much valid today. We are still a people who are wrestling and struggling with identity. I know we were challenged last week. I talked about it in such a powerful way to answer the question, who am I? But I want to use this scripture text to go a little further and challenge us to answer not only the question, who am I? But the question, who is this? Who is he? I want to talk today from the subject, identity crisis. Who is this? In other words, I want to talk about the identity crisis of Jesus. Let me just set the stage here. And I, I you know, I like to talk back church. You know, I can't holler and, and do the runs and do all the great preaching that pastor does. I'm just going to talk it and I'm going to talk it very plain and I'm going to ask you to talk back to me. All right. Hallelujah. All right. Come on. I like to talk back church. So let me set the stage today about on our sermon text. Now, in our sermon text here in Matthew, the 21st chapter, we have Jesus who is making a journey. Say, Jesus is making a journey. He's going from Bethany to Jerusalem. Now, Bethany was significant because it was, it was a place that Jesus went often. It was a place that he, would, he had done uh, miraculous works. It was a place where Simon lived, where he, the person he healed from leprosy. It was a place where he cursed the fig tree, and it responded to his spoken word. It also was the place in which Lazarus was raised from the dead. And so many of the people that lived in Bethany had saw significant miracles. They saw Jesus do some miraculous things. They saw firsthand, and some even experienced firsthand, the miracles of Jesus. Now, what we need to understand is that Bethany was literally just a few miles from Jerusalem. It's kind of like going from Edmond to Midwest City. That's about how far it was. It may even been, it may have been closer actually than that. And so Jesus was on this journey from Bethany to Jerusalem. And his mode of transportation on this journey was a donkey. Specifically, a colt. A colt or a foal is a young donkey, and that's significant because he needed and he was symbolizing the fact that he was holy. He was pure. It was a donkey that had never been ridden. He was symbolizing that he was holy. He was pure. And he was also symbolizing his humility. He didn't come on a war horse like all of the other great Roman rulers. He didn't have a great chariot. He didn't have a bunch of horses. He had a donkey. 
that symbolized his humility. And as Jesus is making his way from Bethany to Jerusalem, the people from Bethany follow him and they be begin to line the road. They take branches off the trees and they begin to shout, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is, is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. They are announcing Jesus as Messiah. Say they're announcing him as Messiah. Now, I know that we're used to our modern technologies where we live in Oklahoma and we can know what's going on in Europe just by looking at our phone. But although they were so close in distance, the people, what the people in Bethany knew about Jesus, the people in Jerusalem obviously did not know because when he made his entrance into Jerusalem, they said, who is this? All right, so he makes his entrance into Jerusalem, and it says the city goes up in an uproar. But if you really look at what that, the word that has been used there, it's almost the term as an earthquake. That's how much the city was in an uproar. People were running out their homes. People were coming out in the road saying, who is this? Now, we know Jerusalem. We've heard that name. If you've been along, around the church any amount of time, you've heard the word Jerusalem. And we know that Jerusalem was the primary capital city of Israel. It was known as the holy city. The Bible calls it the city of David. There are other places in the Bible that refer to it as Zion. It was the place where the temple was. It was where Israel went to worship. Israel, Jerusalem represented the chosen people. Jerusalem represented the church. I need y'all to get this because it's Jerusalem, the people in Jerusalem that say, who is this? Somebody help me preach. What did they say? Who is this? So this place, this chosen place, this holy city is the place, is the people that ask, who is this? It says that the crowd, those that followed him from Bethany, they answered them by saying, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. I don't know about you, but there, if you remember, but I remember that there was a popular song some years ago that says, do you know the man? The man from where? Galilee, okay? That's the question today because the issue of identity does not rest in knowing you, but it rests in knowing his identity. Can we say that the identity, the issue of identity doesn't rest in you knowing who you are. It rests in you knowing who he is. The identity crisis of Jesus is not about Jesus being uncertain about who he is, but it's all about us. It's all about the church. It's all about believers, the chosen ones, not being able to identify who he is. The people of Bethany were able to identify and call him Messiah, yet the people in the holy city, the church folk, the people that were being taught the scripture day after day could not identify 
who he is. Said that's a crisis. We're in crisis. We are in a crisis today because I believe that that question that they asked in Jerusalem is still the question that the church is asking today. I believe that the greatest crisis of the church is identity, not because we don't know who we are, because that's only a product of the real crisis, but it's because we don't know who he is. I like what Luke adds in uh, Luke 19.41. It says that when Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem, he wept for the city. It says he wept for the city. Why did he weep for the city? It says he wept for those people that he chose but didn't choose him. That he wept for the church that had been taught the scripture but couldn't recognize the fulfillment of scripture right in their face. Who is this man? We're talking about an identity crisis. So let's talk about identity. What is identity? When we look at the, when we look at identity from the broad angle of what it means, it simply is the totality of who you are as a person. But when you go a little deeper in understanding the origins of the word, we find that the word is rooted in the Latin word item, which means same. Somebody say same. The literal and original meaning of the word identity is the same as that of identical, which is the quality of being the same. Somebody say the quality of being the same. That's interesting because we like to talk about identity in the sense of its modern definition that highlights independence, that highlights separateness, that highlights uniqueness, right? We talk about identity like you be you, like you be uniquely you, but I want to teach you today. I want to free some folks today. That definition of independence and separateness and uniqueness is only true when you understand the original definition because your independence, your separateness, your uniqueness only comes when we find our identity in him. In other words, I can only be uniquely me when I become the same as him. We got to get the revelation today because we all trying to do us, but you can't be you until you know him. Come on, somebody say it today. I can't be me until I know him. That's a whole word for somebody today. That's a whole word for somebody today. What does that mean? The Bible says in Genesis that we were created, what? In his image. So I can't be the me he created me to be until I start reflecting who he is. But the issue comes in because the fact remains that I can't reflect what I can't recognize. Hey, I know I'm teaching good. Y'all not responding like you should, but I know it's good teaching. This is good word. This is Bible. We're in a crisis. So the crisis in, in understanding who you are is really a crisis in understanding and recognizing who Jesus is. We can't understand who we are without knowing who he is. Somebody say, who is this? 
who is this? Now, we like to tell people, I know we have a lot of self-help people and self-help gurus and discover you gurus and purpose journey gurus and all of these things, and I'm not knocking it. But what you have to understand, we keep on telling people to have your identity, find your identity in Christ. But the issue is they can't identify Christ enough to identify with Christ. You can't identify something that you have never identified with. You have to know him in order to discover you. You got to find him to find you. You got to discover him to discover you. But we're on all these self-help journeys. And all that they're going to do is lead you further away. Because the only way to help self is to find him. Come on. Hey. Why were the people unable to recognize to identify Jesus? These were the people who had been taught the scriptures all their lives. We're talking about the people that lived in Jerusalem. We're talking about the Pharisees. We're talking about the Sadducees. We're talking about people who all they did was were, were learn the scripture, were taught the law, were taught about Moses, taught about uh, uh, all Elisha and Elijah and all of the prophets. We're talking ab- about people who spent their whole life waiting and looking for the Messiah to come, yet when he came and entered their city, They said, who is this? Why? Why were they unable to identify Jesus? I believe that the main reason that they were unable to identify Jesus is because he didn't come adorned in the package that they desired him to be in. We have to get this because we will soon miss him as well. They were expecting a king born to someone privileged, not just a simple virgin girl. They were expecting someone who was going to hang out and eat at banquets with the elite. They weren't expecting someone who was going to eat with the sinners and fellowship with the poor. They were looking for someone who was going to overthrow the Roman government not someone who was going to overthrow the tables in the temple. They were looking for someone who was going to teach and follow the law, not someone that came to abolish the law. They were looking for someone to ride in on a horse and a chariot, not someone sitting on hand-me-down clothes on a donkey. They were looking for someone like them. Hey, Shabakushim. They were looking for someone like him. See, that has been the problem of humanity from day one. We can go back to Adam and Eve in the garden. Why do they eat the apple? Because they want to what? Be like God. See, humanity has always had the issue of trying to bring Jesus down to look like and be like us instead of rising and working to look more like him. We want him to look like us. We want him to reason like us. We want him to make the choices and decisions that we would make. We want him to do the things that make us comfortable, that don't push us out of our comfort zone, that don't push us higher, that don't prune and don't cut. We want him to just be like us. This is how I know we want that the church has gotten to a place Well, we want Jesus to be like us 
because we water down the gospel to make Jesus more palatable for the masses. We only want to talk about grace, but we don't want to talk about the wages of sin being death. We want to talk about the glory, but we don't ever want to mention the suffering. We want to excuse our sin by saying that God knows our heart, but what he knows is Jeremiah 17 and 9, that the heart is above deceitful and desperately wicked. We want a Jesus that will continue to bless our mess rather than transform our life. We want a Jesus that will give us what we want rather than one who supplies what we need. We want a Jesus who gives us the desires of our heart, whether or not our ways please him. We want a Jesus that will come and be who we want him to be, when we want him to be it, rather than us becoming all that he has called us to become. Just this week, there was a comment made on a major news network by a major news personality. And he said, he stated that God is not above any of us. He's just like us. Meaning I too can be God. That's what he said. But the devil is a whole liar. Anybody know that the devil is a whole liar? Come on. We are going to have, have to stop serving this thing we have made in our minds and recognize who Jesus really is we know church we know religion and like the people of Jerusalem we even we may even know a lot of scripture but can you identify do you know the Jesus of the Bible I'm not talking about this one that we manufacture that only comes to bless us but never correct us I'm not talking about this one we manufacture. Do you know the Jesus of the Bible? Because if we knew that Jesus, if we knew that Jesus, we wouldn't turn our backs and go in a full-blown tantrum when your prayers aren't answered. Come on, I'm talking in the room. If we knew that Jesus, if we knew that Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, we wouldn't lose faith in God's ability when he doesn't heal us on our desired time schedule. We wouldn't leave the church because the pastor corrected us in our wrong living. We wouldn't walk in the amount of fear that we walk in. We wouldn't live in such a low and unhappy place if we knew the Jesus of the Bible. Can you recognize Jesus? Do you know this Jesus? They said, who is this? The people in Jerusalem asked the question, who is this? And the crowd exclaimed, those that had followed him from Bethany, they exclaimed as they traveled on the road that he was the son of David, that he was the one that came in the name of the Lord. They had a revelation of who he was. They were able to identify him. It was the crowd from Bethany. It was the crowd that was full of common people. It was the crowd that was full of misfits. It was the crowd that were full of Gentiles, people that weren't even born in this thing. But they had experienced 
or witness a miracle from Jesus. And many of them had heard about the things that he had done, and they recognized who he was. That's significant. You have to understand who was in the crowd that day. Who were the ones who truly knew who he was? That's significant because I believe with all my heart that if the church does not repent, if we don't get rid of this idea of Jesus that we've created, that we've manufactured, that we will again find ourselves unable to identify Jesus when he begins to move and work on the earth. He's already moving. He's already working. But the church is nowhere to be found because we can't identify who Jesus is. I say this prophetically, and I believe it with all my heart, that God is ushering in transformation. He's ushering in revival, the likes of which we have never seen in our lifetime. But it's not going to start in the megachurch. It's not going to start on marquees that are advertising the most popular preacher. It's not going to start on the own channel. Can we be real in the house? It's not going to start in all of these places where people are just coming in to get a rock concert or hear the greatest and latest personality. It's going to come from the common people, the misfits, Those that decided that they would not march to the beat of the drum of religion. Those who got a relationship and not just a routine. It's going to come from the people who have unpopular opinions, put a a post out there and can't get but one like because they're preaching and teaching the truth. That's where it's going to start from. It's going to be the people that don't have the masses following them. It's going to come from those who can look past the false representation and identify the real Jesus of the Bible. That is where the revival fires are going to be sparked. That is where transformation is going to take place. That is where Jesus is going to show up and he's going to perform greater works in the obscure places. Places don't nobody want to go to because we they ain't doing nothing over there. They don't have likes on Facebook. Their equipment ain't the best. We can't hardly see their video when they're trying to go live. We don't want to hear that. All they're talking about is death, sin, in the grave. All they want to do is tell people to repent. That's where revival is going to start. Shabaka, shabakoshe. Because if you want to be real in the house, the message that ushered in Jesus' revival was the one that John the Baptist gave, which was repent. See, we think revival is going to start because we hit the right notes and we sang the right songs and we had everything in place. But revival starts at this word, repent. Jesus. Who is this Jesus? We're going to have to go back and find this Jesus. Hey, hey, I'm telling you, mother's pushing the Holy Ghost in me. Jesus, we're going to have to go back and find this Jesus. 
Who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? Let me make it plain. Let me make it plain. Let me answer the question by going all the way back to Exodus. Who is this Jesus? We can find who this Jesus is in Exodus, the third chapter. When Moses asked God, who shall I tell him has sent me? Hey, and God told Moses to answer the question by saying that I am that I am has sent you. That I am that I am has sent you. When I was younger, that answer used to baffle me. Say, Lord, what does that even mean? That the I am has sent me. But I'm grateful that as you grow and mature, God gives you revelation. And I understand now that the identity, the entire identity of Jesus is wrapped in the I am. Now the phrase or the word I am in Hebrew, if you break it down properly, it literally means I cause to be. I cause to be. Who Jesus, who is Jesus? He is the one who causes everything to be. See the crisis, the danger in not knowing who I am. It's, it's being able to really recognize who he is. That's the danger. Because I can never know who I am without knowing the I am. Come on, say it. I can't know who I am without knowing the I am. I can't know what I am to be unless I know the one who causes everything to be. It's why, with, why the scripture says that in him we live, move, and have our very being. I can't live, move, and have my very being if I don't know the one who causes everything to be. There's no being unless we know who it is that causes everything to be. And let's take it just a step forward and add this understanding to the word phrase I am. The word phrase I am in the Hebrew is literally a word play on the Hebrew word Yahweh. Now, in the English, we call it a pun. When you say a word that can either mean the same thing, same word, mean the same thing, mean something different. In Hebrew, they use a lot of word plays because it makes it, enhances the significance of the word. It enhances the meaning. There's a play on the sound. There's a play on the meaning. And so the, there are two Hebrew words for I am and Yahweh. They have a very similar spelling. They have a very similar sound. And they have a very similar meaning. Now, it's important that we understand that today because when God says, I am that I am, he's literally making a personal introduction of himself to us. See, the name God, which is what we normally say, the name God is what you can consider a generic name. Like I can look out in the audience and I say, woman, woman, man, man, woman. And that 
identifies what you are. But if I call your name, if I say Pastor Anthony, if I say Mother McEwen, then I have personally identified who you are. When we hear and say the name Yahweh, because Yahweh means Lord, it, it literally means the God of the Bible. He specifies himself as the God that is in covenant with Israel. This is the God of the Bible. This ain't Allah, Muhammad Allah. This ain't uh, whoever they uh, celebrating this God over here. This is Yahweh. And Yahweh is Lord. He is the God of the Bible. He is the one that causes everything to be. He is Lord. So when God said, tell them I am who I am, what Moses heard was, I am the Lord of all and I cause everything to be. Who am I? Who is this? I am the Lord of all and I cause everything that is to be. Can I make it plain? The issue that we have in the church is the same issue they had in Jerusalem. It's a right and acceptable and desirable to want a savior. We want to be saved. We don't want to go to hell. We don't want to live a life of trouble. We want to be saved. It's even all right sometimes to have a king if they're going to rule fairly. But what we don't want is a Lord. It's all right when he's just God, that far, far away thing that created the universe. But when he's asking and desiring to be Lord, meaning master, ruler over your life, that's when the problem comes in. I don't know about you, but when I got saved, they would emphasize in salvation that you don't only have to confess him as Lord, but you also have to allow him to then be Lord over your life. See, we want him to save us from destruction, hell, sin, and the grave, but we don't want him to tell us how to live. See, the Pharisees, the people in Jer Jerusalem were more excited and, and enthused about him overthrowing the Roman government than they were about following him so he can overthrow the sin in their life. Jesus, we are like kids. We talk about it. I hear, I hear parents talk about it all the time when their kids are growing up. But we're like those kids that want to live in your house but not follow your rules. We want them to be our God. We want them to protect us. We want them to bless us. But we don't want to follow his rules. That means we don't want him to be our Lord. But you can have one part of him. You can have the Savior without the Lord. You have to identify with the person of Jesus. You have to recognize him as Yahweh. Somebody say Yahweh. The crisis in the identity of Jesus is that we have recognized his kingship. We recognize him as being our savior, but we have not yet, yet recognized and identified him as Lord over our lives. 
What does that mean? How do we identify Jesus? We do it the way that Paul instructed in the, to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. It says, with the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. He's talking to us. I don't know about you, but we live, I believe we're living in a society that's hopelessly confused. We can see it every day. All, every new, you can just go scroll through the TV. We're living in a society that's hopelessly confused. We're teaching, we have our schools and our government that's teaching us that identity is a matter of who you want to be that day. Hopelessly confused. All of these other words to describe a him and a her. You are a boy or you are a girl. Because when we strip you all the way to your DNA, you still got an XX or an XY. I don't care how many reconstruction surgeries you have, how much you want to be called they and her. When we strip it all away, you still got an XX or an XY, meaning you are male or female. We are in a hopeless and a confused society. I'm just in the word. I'm just in the word today. Verse 18 of chapter 4 says, their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life that God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. Hey, this was written, written to the church of Ephesus, but it's knocking on our door today. This is the road that we're on in this earth, in this land. It says, verse 19, they have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. That's what I'm telling you today. That's not what you learned. I don't care what they're doing out there. I don't care what the, what the government is telling you uh, that, that we should accept. I don't care what the news media is saying. I, I'm saying what verse 19, or what, I'm sorry, what verse 21 is saying, that that's not what you have learned. And it says, since you have heard about Jesus and learned the truth that comes from him, you are to throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. And instead, verse 23, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Verse 24, this is what we have to understand. Put on your new nature, created to be like who? Created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. We're talking about who this is. We're talking about identifying with him so that we can become who he has called us to be. We have to not... We have to know the truth. We have to live in the truth. Not what they're telling us, not the deception that they're giving us, but we have to put off the sinful nature. We have to renew our thoughts in the truth of God's word. And we have to become like God. Truly righteous. Truly righteous. And truly holy. In order to identify Jesus. We have to put away the things that cause us to separate from him. We have to relinquish our right, our rights to lordship. For many of us, 
it's not the immorality that's keeping us away from Jesus. It's not drunkardness. It's not fornication. It's the fact that you won't give up control to your own life. You want to sit in the seat of Lord. And let me just make it real plain to you. When you are sitting in the seat of Lord in your life, then you have in fact created yourself an idol, and that idol is you. Because anything that sits in the seat that belongs to God then becomes idolatry. Can we just make it plain in the house? Because what we want to talk about is wooden statues and all of these other complicated things. But it's simple. Anything that sits in the seat of Lord, he is Yahweh. He is the only Lord. So anything that sits in that seat in your life has become an idol. And you, in fact, are practicing idolatry. I'm trying to make it as plain as I can. We have to relinquish our rights to lordship in our life. We have to make room for him to sit in the seat of Lord. What's the solution for this identity crisis? It's simple. Church, we have to go back to Jesus. We have to find the Jesus of the Bible. We have to find and understand the authentic work of Jesus and allow that authentic work to work in us. We have to allow him to be Lord. We have to spend time in prayer. I know we say these things all the time. They're simple, but not simple enough for people to actually do them. We have to spend time in prayer because you can't identify with something or someone you don't ever communicate with. We have to spend time in the word. The word is where you study to know him. It's like when you are first in a relationship, and I pray that you do it throughout your relationship because people evolve. But when you are first in a relationship, Y'all going down there, all your history book. What was you voted in high school? What did you do in high school? What did you do in your childhood? All of those questions. Getting to study and know who this person you're in relationship with. But we all want to say that we're in relationship with God, but we don't study his word. And that's our way of knowing and studying who he is. We can't be in relationship with someone we don't study to know. Jesus. And then we have to follow his instruction. John 10, 27 says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice. A lot of times we just want to stop there. But the end of that verse, it says, I know them and they follow me. Sheep follow the shepherd. So it's not a matter of someone judging you and someone trying to judge your heart. It's very plain to see you're not a sheep if you're not following the shepherd. Because he says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. See, we are celebrating, coming to a close, the triumphant entrance into Jerusalem today.
a place and a people that didn't even recognize who Jesus was. Those from Bethany recognized who he was, and they celebrated the entrance. Today, the best celebration that we could really do would be the one that comes from allowing him to enter your heart and take the seat of Lord in your life. We talked about what Jerusalem meant. We talked about that Jerusalem was the city of David, that it was the holy city, that it was the city of Zion. But Bethany, get this, hear this. Bethany meant house of welcome. Because this is what you have to understand about Jesus. The Bible says that he came for the lost sheep in the house of Israel. But they rejected him. He's coming back for the church. But if we reject him, he's going to go where he is welcome. Bethany meant house of welcome. Those weren't the chosen folks, but they were the folks that welcomed him in. Who are you going to be today? Are you just going to be a part of the church in name, but not be able to recognize Jesus? Are you going to be a part of the group that welcomed him to be Lord of your life? Do you know the man? Do you know the Jesus of the Bible? Has your life been transformed by this man? Is he Lord, master, ruler, shepherd of your life? Or are you the Lord of your life? That's the challenge today. To get real with yourself, can you recognize Jesus? Do you know when he's moving? Can you see him? Can you see him when he's riding in? Where are you looking for him? Are you looking for him where the masses are? Because I still believe that narrow is the way. And generally, he's found on the street where there are a few. He's generally in the thing that is not popular. That's not going to get you the biggest crowd. Can you find the Jesus of the Bible. I want you to close your eyes. And I just want you to get along with the Father and ask him to search your heart. Where have I missed you? Where has 
Where has religion become my routine? Where have I grown absent of relationship? What in me needs to decrease so, Lord, you can be welcome to increase? God, I don't want to miss you. If that is your prayer, if that is your heart's cry, that you just don't want to miss him, if you're unsure whether or not you would be able to recognize Jesus, if you know that you have created some other things to be Lord of your life, if you know you've just been serving this God that you've manufactured and created that just protects you or blesses you but doesn't have the authority to correct you, to lead you, I want you to come to the altar today. If you don't know Jesus, if you've never acknowledged him as Lord and Savior of your life, the altar is open for you today. Hallelujah. If you want prayer, I'm opening up the altar. We will pray for you today. We all are going to have to answer the question, who is this? We're going to have to be able to recognize him when he comes. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, give us some worship music. Come on, worship team. Thank you, Father. Jesus. Thank you, Father. 